I, uh, I really hope and pray Chris gets better. I, I hope and pray that, that he heals and that, that he's whole again, but uh, this is a time of uncertainty. And so I'm sharing with you today a psalm about going through dark times. Uh, Ed, I appreciate Psalm 13. It is a psalm of lament. I'm preaching another psalm of lament. We don't like psalms of lament. I don't like psalms of lament. I hear people get up and they talk about, this is one of my favorite scriptures. I'm so excited about this scripture. I'm preaching you a scripture that I don't like. I'm preaching you a scripture that doesn't excite me, it troubles me. But it also is where I need to go. It's something I need to experience the reality of my existence and my faith and I share it with you prayerfully. And So why don't we pause right now and ask God to help us through this difficult Psalm of Lament, Psalm 22, which I will read to you in a moment. And as we consider the, the title, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Join me in prayer, please. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, we are so thankful that you left heaven to come to this world in the dark of night, to come into a world of darkness, to come into a dark place, to come into the darkness of our lives, to redeem it, to give it new worth, to forgive us. Lord Jesus, as we look at Psalm 22, please help us to get what you're doing. Help us to feel your care. Lord, we, uh, we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit to awaken our minds and hearts to hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God's light shines in the darkness. So we should not pretend the dark is not dark. I'm afraid that's a tendency for us as American Christians. I'm a proud patriotic American, but I think there is a weakness here where we try to be so positive, so optimistic. Here's a personal confession of mine. A lot of you don't know me very well, but I just am by nature optimistic. I'm visionary, I come up with ideas, I like to do things, I like enthusiasm, I like sports, I, uh, I like being busy, I like being outside, and I just don't have time for being sad and upset. And so when I look in the Bible, I want to find things that are going to pump me up and, uh, and be encouraging and, 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 and happy stuff. But you know all that, that just doesn't always work. And I'm afraid I made some tragic mistakes in my ministry and sometimes even with my family. Because when I would go through really hard, gut-wrenching, disappointing, grief-stricken times, I would put on the happy face. I would put on the face that I thought was the face of victory and show people how great God is to keep me going during this really hard time. And, and do you know what I communicated? Denial. Something unrealistic. And, and people might have looked at me and gone, wow, Dan, you're really something. But I can't do that. 
I'm concerned that some of my own family looked at me that way and, and therefore my faith was diminished in their eyes because I did not allow them to see the pain that I was feeling. I, I was one-dimensional. I showed them victory. I didn't show them what I had to go through to get that victory. It's a terrible mistake. I think that's a mistake of the American culture. I think that's a, a mistake of the contemporary church. You go to the, the bookstore and you buy a book, it's how to get out of that pit. It isn't too much about how to live through that pit. If you're reformed in your faith, there can be a tendency, a temptation to think God is sovereign, God is good, I don't have time to feel bad. If you're charismatic, you might go, I have to have faith that God will get me through anything, I'm going to claim it, I'm going to live it, I'm going to believe it. I don't have time for the stuff that's hard and painful. And so we live a life of denial. And when we're doing that, what we are doing to a secular world that is suffering, we're out of touch. We're not empathetic. We're not communicating to them. This is a place to come with your pain. We're saying, if you have pain, we're sorry. Find Jesus and he'll give you victory and make the pain go away. And that, that is just not correct. It's a hard topic. We, we see it abused. Now, we all know people who are emotionally unhealthy. And they have emotionally unhealthy habits. They are dour and sad and miserable and everything they do in life makes them more that way. And so we look at them and we go, I don't want to be like that. And they give lament a bad name. Uh, I'm thinking of a movie. You remember the movie, What About Bob? And this one scene... I need, I need, I need, I need. I can just see Bill Murray doing that. Nobody wants to be, I need, I need, I need, I need. And I'm not preaching we should be that way, but I am preaching that as Christians, we need to recognize that we need, we need, we need, we need God. And we need him in times of difficulty. And we need him in times when life doesn't make sense. And we need him in times when we're hurting and we're broken and we're weeping. We need him in times when we recognize we cannot forgive our own sins and we have need. So with all of that as the background, let's look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22, a psalm of lament. Perhaps the most important of all the psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This very first phrase points out that this is also a messianic psalm. This is a psalm that talks about the coming of Jesus. There's so much of Jesus and his crucifixion here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of my anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. 
Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to me, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You will fear the Lord. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. The word of the Lord. That last phrase, he has done it, can also be read as it is finished. We start with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we end with, it is finished. For those of you who are taking notes, good luck. (laughs) But there are three main points. See if you can find them as I talk. The importance of the dark times. A danger in the dark times. And the power through the dark times. First of all, the importance of the dark times. 
When we cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken forsaken me? We are recognizing and dealing with our fallen nature, our fallen reality and our separation from God and our need to be united with God. We are recognizing the great gap that was there. I don't want that feeling. And I'm guessing, I have a good friend who used to say, what's most personal is most universal. In other words, if this is true for me, it's probably true for at least a few of you out there, maybe a lot of you. I don't ever want to feel like God has forsaken me. But David felt this way. And he was a man after God's own heart. And our own Savior prayed this way on the night that he was betrayed and on the cross. So if he felt that way, and I want to be a man after God's own heart, and I want to be Christ-like, how am I to think I'm somehow going to avoid this reality? This reality, this profound sense of knowing my need. St. John of the Cross called it a dark night of the soul. I was raised and grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance. There we called it a crisis experience. Maybe you've heard it called a crisis of belief. Where we, race, we, we reach a crossroads and we're at a dark and difficult place and we have to choose, is, is what I'm following real or not? God, I'm having a hard time believing in you with the circumstances that I'm going through. And my heart and my soul and my emotions are heavy. Like Ed so beautifully confessed, this psalm makes sense to me. And maybe this psalm will make sense to you too at some time or another. We don't want to live in a constant state of questioning. But we will go through episodes. We will go through seasons. And I don't know about you, but as a church, I'm there because I don't know why Chris is sick and I'm not. I had cancer two years ago. Bone cancer. Had a big surgery up at the Cleveland Clinic. I'm fine. I would trade places with Chris in a minute. I'm retired. I just turned 70 a couple of weeks ago. Can't believe it. Go ahead, tell me. You don't look it, you know? Thank you. Do I hear an amen? I'd trade places with Chris in a minute. I'm not in a place where I want to be. I'm having questions. My heart's heavy. I look at the world circumstances. We'll get into this in a little bit more detail. My heart's heavy. Lord, Lord. But the one thing we need to recognize here is is this statement, my God, my God, is a prayer of a believer. When we unpack this phrase, this is saying that a strong believer can have this deep traumatic emotion can have this depth of doubt and questioning and wondering what God are you doing? What's going on? I hate this stage of life. 
I don't understand what you're doing. My God, my God. But it is a believer's prayer. The person who's crying that out is crying to God. And he's even saying, God, you are mine. You are my God. And then he says, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why? How many times have you heard, don't ask why? You're just not going to get an answer. You know, why does Chris have cancer? We don't know. Why, why did so-and-so die? We don't know. Why am I going through this? We don't know. So just don't ask why. I'm telling you, ask why. Because the scripture says to. My God, my God, why? Why? Now, I'm not saying you're going to get an answer. But I am saying, go ahead and ask it. Go ahead and ask it as the cry of your heart. Go ahead and ask it to a God who is listening to your prayers, who is listening with both ears and looking at you with both eyes and who cares very deeply and who knows what you're going through. Because as you ask, it's part of your process of approaching God with the ache and the agony of your heart and the questions of your mind and the questions of your soul. My God, my God, why? Why have you, God? Lord, I can understand if my wife lets me down. She's human. I can understand if my kids disappoint me. They're human. Maybe my expectations were wrong. I can understand. I can understand if a person in the church sins because we're all, we all make mistakes. We all do it. I don't like it. I can understand it. But God, you, why have you let me down? Why do you not come across the way I want you to come across? Why do I pray for certain things and I don't get the answer? Why do your people go through these kind of trials? Because God, everybody else can let me down, but I'm counting on you and you're the only one that can heal. You're the only one that can change people. You're the only one that can make it happen. And some of the things I'm asking for, you're not doing. Why? I'm overwhelmed. Why have you forsaken? Lord, you know the things that matter. You know the things that cause me pain. I mean, in some portions of scripture, you, you even say, you know, you'll, you'll meet my needs according to your riches. But Lord, I have needs and nothing's happening. Why? Why? It's overwhelming. It's, it's too much. I mentioned that we, uh, we moved here from Colorado we had a dramatic experience in, my, in the church that we planted out there. And two traumatic events were happening at the same time. Just a little bit of background. I, uh, we, went, uh, we, we went to plant a church and we moved in and our next door neighbor, her, their name was Tom and Jeanette and uh, they were French Canadian and when I told them we were there to plant a church, uh, Tom's eyes glazed over and when he went home to tell his wife, uh, she said in her French Canadian accent, oh Tommy, not a preacher. I wish the people with the barking dogs had moved in next door instead. Now you're going to have to drink your mug in a beer and he's going to stand 
or you're, he's going to have, you're going to have to drink your beer in a mug and he's going to stand out on his porch and preach at us. Well, Jeanette became the first convert in our new church. It was a, and she had the gift of hospitality and she was feisty and she was funny and she went into the hospital for knee surgery and uh, when she went into the hospital for knee surgery, she told her doctor, if this is going to mess up skiing this year, I'll just wait till after ski season to get it done. And he said, no, you'll, you'll be fine. We'll get this done. Jeanette threw a blood clot. And I got a call from Tom uh, on a Tuesday morning. He said he was weeping. He said, Dan, something terrible is wrong. And I went out to the hospital and I, we, had, we met with a neurologist and they said two blood clots passed through her heart and went to her brain. Her brain is herniated. There is no hope. She's going to die. We were devastated. And at the time this happened, Colorado's biggest wildfire, the Hayman Fire, had also started. It was the week from hell. We had ashes the size of quarters in our driveway. The sky was brown, the sun was almost out of view and we were watching this fire get bigger every day and gone to the hospital and Jeanette died. She died on a Sunday night. It was awful. If I had more time, I'd go into more detail but I don't have the time but this is the important event you need to know. During that time while visiting Jeanette, Tom, a brand new Christian also, in our new church, he grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, Dan, I trust God, but I don't understand him. And in my heart, I was gone, Tom, I'm with you. I may be your pastor. I don't understand this. I don't understand. I don't understand why God would come into a new church and let something like this happen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Why are you allowing this to happen? It was awful. These times, though, are important. I'm not saying they're good. I don't even want to talk about them being valuable. I don't want to be positive about them. They're important because they stir up a need and they lead us to a deeper experience with God. There is a danger in this, though. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're not answering my prayers. You're not listening to me. Oh, Lord, I still believe in you. I believe you've done great things in the past. I believe you're still doing great things. You're just not doing them for me. It's not working for me. I believe in you. I don't even have anywhere else to turn, but it's not working for me. And there's a danger. I am a worm. I'm a worm. I just, I just don't matter. A worm is spineless, fleshly, exists in the dark, a very low life form. It's where our heart turns to wax, our tongue sticks to the roof of our mouth, we're going through these hard times and we really think God doesn't care about us. And even if God's a good God and God's a real God and God's a powerful God, it doesn't work for me. There's something about me that doesn't get it right. 
So I want to just tell anybody who's going through this who thinks that there's something wrong with you because you're going through hard times and God doesn't make sense to you. David prayed this prayer and he was a man after God's own heart. Jesus prayed this prayer and he's our savior. Keep praying that prayer. Go ahead Keep praying it. Oaks, our pastor's sick. I don't like it. I don't know why he doesn't just reach down and heal Chris. I'm tempted to think, well, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with my faith? What's wrong with my prayer? Have I not prayed enough? Did I say the wrong words? Should I pray differently? Is there sin in Chris's life? Is there sin in us? Lord, I'm just going to keep seeking you, I'm not going to allow the I am a worm to take hold of me. I know I'm a worm in some respects. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I, my understanding is very small to what it needs to be, but Lord, you... You love me, you redeem me, you've called me, you've given me by name, you've given me an, a new identity. So Lord, uh, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna keep praying for your help. But Lord, sometimes I feel like a worm. I feel powerless. I don't feel strong. I don't feel like I can stand up. I pray for Chris, I pray for my kids, I pray for the world, I pray for Israel, I pray for social injustice, I pray for uh, our culture wars, I pray for all of these things, and Lord, it only seems to be getting worse. Help me, help us. Is something wrong with me? Uh, are you ready for me to quit preaching? Oh, don't ask Dan back, please, this is awful. I'm thankful I can end with this story. There is power through the dark. God does give us heaven. He does want us to be happy. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We do have to go through the cross. He does want what's best for us. He has a dream and a vision for us. He will accomplish the work that he has started in us. You have me back next week. That's the scripture I'm going to be preaching from next week, Philippians 1.6. We do have all these good promises. How do these promises come when all of this darkness? Here's the main point today. We cannot be just one-dimensional Christians who live only for the happy good stuff. We've got to have the whole picture, the whole existence, the whole sense of need and drama. It, it's, it's fusion. It's where two things come together. Sometimes there's Asian food, fusion with food where different ingredients are combined into a recipe to make it delicious. Right, Sam? There's jazz fusion with music where various ingredients come together to make something amazing happen. There's nuclear fusion where 
opposite ingredients collide to make amazing power. And God does his powerful work in our lives when there's a fusion of the brokenness of man being brought to God. And where we cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you not answering my prayers? And we pour out the anguish of our heart in a lament and we come to God and when we meet God there and he brings to us his promises, there's a fusion of our need and a fusion of the greatness of God and something really powerful happens then. Let me illustrate it with this story. I was a chaplain with Hospice of St. John in Denver, Denver's oldest hospice, and I was making a call one night. Uh, It was in the wee hours of the morning. It was customary that in our hospice, a chaplain attended every death, whether family was there or not. And I was called to one of these kind of upscale memory care units, and uh, a person had died, the family had paid their respects, and they had left, and I was waiting in the lobby of this... uh, a very nice facility uh, for the mortuary to arrive. And as I was waiting there, about one or two in the morning, suddenly this cute little old lady, her face is like right here. I don't know how she snuck up on me. It must have been kind of sneaky. And uh, anyway, I, I looked and, you know, she had kind of scraggly hair, but she was still real cute. I understand she was a PhD college professor. Uh, She had a yellow uh, bathrobe on, uh, fuzzy slippers, but she was clearly confused. She was in a a memory care floor. And uh, I, I wasn't quite sure what to do at first, but at that very same time in my life, my mother was in the same condition and she was in Pennsylvania. I'm in Colorado, my brother's in Atlanta. I thought, I hope somebody in that skilled nursing facility in Williamsport, Pennsylvania is tending to my mom the way I want to tend this lady. So I said, oh, why don't you sit down here with me? And so I invited her to sit down. Now, this lady could not complete a sentence. She would start with a couple of words that made sense. But then it would just trail off into gibberish. It made no sense at all. And I, but I had her sit down and so I tried to guess what she was trying to say. I tried to figure it out and we started having a conversation. So she'd say something and I'd respond back. All I did, I kept smiling and looking her in the eye. Smiling, looking her in the eye, sounding, and she'd keep trying to talk, keep trying to talk. Nothing made any sense. Can't tell you a single thing we said that made sense. But about, I'm guessing, 15 or 20 minutes into this exchange, something happened. All at once she broke out into a huge ear-to-ear grin. And I got a very warm, full-hearted feeling in my chest. We connected. We connected at a level that I hardly ever connect with anybody. 
It was fascinating. When I finished calls at 2 and 3 and 4 in the morning as a hospice chaplain, I wanted to rush right home and go to bed. When I was done with this call, I was so amped up and excited, I couldn't sleep. I thought, what was that? What actually took place there? But then it actually occurred to me that what took place there is what happens in my Christian life all the time, except the chairs are reversed. I'm the demented one. No joke. Sometimes I'm crying out to God. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to say it. Lord, the cry of my heart Chris, the world, the culture wars, the war, the politics. And then my mind just, my words just dribble off. I don't even know what to ask for. I don't even know how to ask. Lord, my own discouragement. I feel like a worm. I feel like you're calling me to do things. Stand up in the world and I'm scared and I I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say and I don't know how to say it and and my thoughts just dribble off again into, into emotions. But here's the point. God is sitting in that chair looking at you and looking at me with both eyes and both ears and he's listening because he cares That's the second half of Psalm 13, Ed. Good news for all of us. And he cares and he's looking at us. So when we have the dark night of the soul, the crisis experience, when we have a crisis of belief, when we feel like a worm, when we feel like God has forsaken us, what do we do? We seek him all the more. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if you don't know what to say, you just keep seeking him. You stay with him. You sit in this chair and let him sit in that chair until there is a connection. Because I tell you there will be. Because that's the God we serve. And he does not waste our crisis. He does not waste our hard times. He will even lead us to sit in the chair with somebody else at times and care for them. But right now and at first, we sit in the chair and we let God sit in that chair and we pour out our lament. Learning to lament is valuable. It's important. It's powerful. If we all go through that experience, we want to make sure we reach the point where it is finished, where his work is finished in our life, where he has connected with us and we have connected with him and we experience his presence in a way that fulfills us more than anything else does. That's true for each of us and that's true for us as a whole. Where are you today? How many of you are in that circumstance? Maybe some of you will be in one. Maybe some of you were in one and it never was quite resolved. Maybe some of you have great testimonies. Let's let's have a closing prayer and let's make it part of our search for God, our crying for God, 
so that we experience him in the fullness of his work for us. Almighty God, our hearts ache, my heart aches, and I seek you. I seek you on behalf of Oaks Church today. I seek you on behalf of Chris and Lindsay and those five beautiful kids. I seek you on behalf of Israel and the war that's going on over there. I seek you on behalf of the poor. I seek you on behalf of the the hurting, the divorced, the rejected. I speak to you on behalf of, of those who don't know you. Lord, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, meet us. Come close, do your work so that our lips will be filled with praise, so that we will be satisfied with the riches of food, so we will be able to rejoice and say it is finished in our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.